Lately, I have been focused on interviews, especially for my YouTube channel, a lot more than the music and stuff right to know on the podcast. But I did make a promise to some of the, the people who I have interviewed with to release it on the Spotify podcast uh, whenever possible. So here it is. Um, this is just one out of many, and I hope you like what you have to hear. Stay tuned. Good evening, everyone. This is Skinny E Media, or Mark speaking to you with two of the great minds behind Red Snapper, a band that I used to listen to quite a lot from their Prince Blimey days all the way now to their new upcoming album, as well as Key and Hyena. What an absolutely phenomenal band they are. I could go on for hours about it, but I'd like to introduce you to Richard Fair and Alistair Friend. How do you do, fellas? Hi, how are you? I'm doing great myself. It's uh, not often I get to talk to bandmates that much. Uh, last time I talked to Simon Mills from Bent and Funky Porcini, James Braddle, and a oh, French James. jazz group called Les Mont Brothers, which I thought was pretty interesting as well. But it's so nice to have you on board. Yeah, thanks for having us. And we're certainly on board. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we're there. So let's get started with some of the uh, brilliant questions I have for you in mind. I still have them so um we can't wait I know with uh, the COVID pandemic it has been devastating for the music industry everywhere I'm sure you probably had to work maybe even at Amazon warehouse or Tesco just to get on by um because those furlough payments probably couldn't cover you up when the you know you couldn't perform because of COVID well yeah I mean I think the biggest loss for us was um was not being able to not being able to gig when I mean, we've, we've still got ways of trying to write music and communicate you know as everyone does but um i think we missed we miss gigging we always have a lot of gigs particularly abroad you know in eastern europe um and those have been cancelled potential little tours were stopped so and i think it's the funny thing with that is it's you realize it's kind of who you are it's, it's part of your makeup as a musician to be playing live and because we couldn't particularly with Red Snapper, it's a real, uh, I think for both me and Rich, it's a very, it's a physical outlet and a mental outlet. So I, I missed that. I found that difficult. I must admit. We, we were very lucky that back in September, uh, in the thick of it, we were lucky enough, uh, to be sponsored by the Arts Council of England to play a little festival in, or a, a gig in, um, Woodbridge in Suffolk sponsored by uh, or organized by Ben Osborne and that was a real lift for us to be able to get together and rehearse as a band and after lockdown it was so important to us and it made us realize what we'd missed as Ali said was the physical thing of being in a room together and playing our music and we also got the chance to road test uh, a couple of the new tracks from the red forthcoming Red Snapper album, and uh, it was it was a wonderful experience, and it really picked us up in dark times, to be honest. Yeah, I would say this is definitely the most challenging uh, part of our time that we have been in, at least for me, because I'm a person of the 1990s. I'm sure for you, because uh, you probably grew up during the Thatcher years, and that was quite tumultuous as well. Um, 
but I'm, I'm very glad that you had a few opportunities here and there to perform your craft. You're definitely one of the greatest uh, bands that I'm at least aware of because I know a lot of people like to compare you to other electronic music acts like Massive Attack and Portishead, but you're not really electronic music. I would say you're jazz through and through. Would you agree with that? Uh, how dare you? Um, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> no, I, I don't know. I think we, we've been called so many things. I think the, the thing with us is that it's always been very difficult for anyone to try and define what we do because there's a lot of, obviously, a lot of influences and a lot of sounds that are floating around a red snapper sort of world. Um, I think we have a jazz sensibility, but we also have a hip hop sensibility. Um, and we use a lot, a lot, of, a lot of electronics, and we like, we like playing with acoustic sounds and making it not, you know, what you'd expect to hear. Trying to get the most out of a, you know, whatever a, a drum hit or a, a double bass pluck, you know. I suppose it's it's like a spirit of experimentation more than anything else. So I think that's probably how we look at ourselves. Yeah, I would agree with that there because. Um... In my research of music, uh, usually self-taught, I would say you are closest in spirit to take this uh, for granted weather report, return to forever, Chick Corea. That's who I feel you are closest in spirit to, more so than even Massive Attack, or even on the end, Miles Davis, because of that fusion of elements and genres in a lot of your sounds. I've even put it politely to even a friend that one time, if uh, Prince Blimey feels like Buddy Rich, making bones takes a Miles Davis approach, and our aim is to satisfy feels like Jamiroquai, then Key feels like Radiohead, and Hyena feels like Bella Kuti. Uh, at the time, back if we're talking about uh, back in the day, in 96 or whatever, with Prince Blimey, there was a weather, weather report comparison. I think we were as much influenced by bands like Can and uh, a certain ratio, yeah. and um, I I think those bands themselves were influenced by the people that we were also influenced by, who were the jazz greats. But it was more, as Ali said, it was more about the sensibilities of it and the the emotions. We never really thought that much about it, to be honest. I think it was about what we we were listening to at the time and what we wanted to achieve. And in terms of uh, who was playing, making music at the same time, be it, I don't know, Massive Attack, Lamb, Tricky, uh, the whole Ninja Tunes thing, and then Mo Wax, you know, some of that was live. Some of it was very much sample based. And we felt like we sat in amongst that, but we didn't ever feel like we belonged in that and I think at times we tried to mirror it I think at times we tried to um, do our own version of it and that's all we did we've only ever done our own version of things be it Afrobeat or dub or you know or funk or Afrofunk we've always just tried to keep it personal and that's what it's always been about us um, without compromise. I thank you for your approach and perspective on 
the sounds there because um, that was just my original thoughts here and there. But over time, as I've listened to your music, because I often listen to a lot of songs on repeat, I've developed my, my own sort of awareness that you are definitely a band of your own kind. That's, that's the best thing. If you if you say that, then I think we've succeeded because I think that's that's all we want. We we I want agree. Our, our own thing. It's just natural to be to to desire to uh, to form your own your own path, you know. And I think. There's obviously you can hear influences in what we do, but we've always, as Rich said, tried to do it in our own way. Sometimes, because partly because we didn't really know how to do it, um, and by not knowing how to do it, you discover things about yourself and you discover about what things you love. So, but I, some of the other, you know, Miles is obviously in there, and there's Mingus in there, and you know, Radiohead influenced everyone, didn't it? Really, so or they still do. Are pretty much there, especially from their kid A years. And in terms yeah. of Miles Davis, Bitches Brew and In a Silent Way were definitely noted influences. I think there was yeah. one song that you'd done from your early days on Reeled and Skinned EP, The Snapper, The Swank, Hot Flush, um, Lobster, one of my all-time favourites. Absolutely beautiful. It sounds like something you'd hear in In a Silent Way or like on Mysterious Traveller, the Weather Report album. It, just the sort of smooth sounds. I can't create double bass sounds, but I actually You've make done music it myself. Really well, actually. Um, just so I know, are you playing air bass there? That is air bass. It's very cool. Yes. Yeah, very cool. You've nailed it. You've nailed it. Some something that that that's one of my favourite Red Snapper tracks. It always has been, and um, a sad note on that track is that we recently lost Alan Riding, who played sax and flute and melodica on the, that track, um, and he recently died unfortunately. Um, I'm so, so sorry to hear that. Um, I wasn't sure if you knew, but that you know, a massive shout to him and his family and condolences because. He, he was a big part of things when we first started the band and uh, with Reeled and Skin, he was a huge part of it. Um, so, but but I think things moved on quite swiftly from that first lot of releases to say Prince Blimey and then when we moved on to the next album. So, um, yeah, you know. That um, transition of a lot of your music, because I know you first started on the Warp Records label, um, which is, um, by for everyone's knowledge, is actually my favourite label of all time. I know you worked with Low, and you used to work with V2 at one point. Um, and that always, always piqued my curiosity, because for some reason, after talking to Warp fans, they couldn't quite put Prince Blimey in a particular spot because of the genre classifications like we talked about earlier on. But I think that was the charm of it all. And about Prince Blimey, which will be having its 25th anniversary, um, was it more or less original ideas that you come up between you and your lot? Or was it uh, commissioned by Warp because The Snapper, The Swank, those EPs were so successful? Is um, I think at the time, uh, Steve and Rob at Warp, uh, with the great support of our manager then, Steve Butler, um, they they had a kind of vision 
and which then eventually followed through with Warp Records in that they then actually worked with some quite a lot of bands that work with acoustic instruments. I think it was just that we were one of the first bands acoustic or bands that used real instruments as opposed to electronic instruments. Um, I, I think that's really a big shout to Stephen Robert Warp who believed in it and the, the staff in that office who wanted to take a punt on something new which is what we should all celebrate about independent labels in Britain which has kept us all going over the years you know is they saw something there what's wrong with signing something that's completely at a tangent to what you're currently putting out you know They'd, they'd nailed the electronic scene and I think they were looking for something different. We were signed off the back of a live performance at Glastonbury, really, weren't we, Ali? Yeah. Um, you know, I we think... played the jazz stage and both Warp Records and EMI Music signed us because they just, I don't know why, they saw something live. They saw the passion and they saw something that perhaps had some some bones, you know, some some future. Yeah, now you're making bones. The second hey, album that was soon <laughs> But uh, yes, um, that album is absolutely phenomenal. It's in my top uh, 25 alongside My Bloody Valentine's Loveless, Bought Scanders, Campfire Head Phase. And where are we in the debut. 25? Where are we in the 25 though? Tell me we're not 24, please. Or 25. We're number two. 22. Numero dos. <laughs> ah, there are a few reasons for well. that. Um, because number one is an album that I actually is the first one I owned as a child. It was Eminem's Music Classics. So I have okay. to hold on a particular I've got. But number two, I'll, I'll give you that. Prince Blind. Wow. You know, I hear the sort of acoustic instrumentation and the strong bass sound, especially on the last one. If you don't mind me, let me just do the air sounds. Yeah, go on. <clears throat> man, man, oh man, that's almost would beat Les Claypool from Primus to the Punch or Tom Jenkinson <laughs> from Square Pusher. I love you. That's so good. That's so good. Oh. You need to do an album of this stuff. You already have a dub version of Prince Blimey. Maybe I could probably do one that uses the sounds of my throat. Beatboxing. Very good, man. The interesting thing, the interesting thing with that tune, well, lots of interesting things, but that there's a sample, a vocal sample in that. And that vocal sample comes from that that gig at Glastonbury, which got assigned when uh we've got last one. I'm shouting last one and people in the audience are shouting superb. Well, in fact, it's a couple of our mates are shouting superb. So that we've recycled that, um, that sample, that bit of vocal and put it in last one. And it's, we still do that live, don't we? I mean, it's kind of an amazing thing. It's, yeah. amazing. it's a, it's a track that still works live. Like many of the print Prince Blimey tracks, we still play um, space sickness, which is one of the big ones in the live set. Um, so yeah, it it it's and get some sleep, album. get some sleep, Tiger as well. It's always uh, it's a big hit. Because another one I also like as well is uh, Crusoe takes a trip. That absolutely sounds like soundtrack music to me that you would hear in a sort of 
artsy European Spence Fuller um, with a, a very attractive woman and a guy who looks like a John Hamm or George Clooney, um, you know, fighting a Russian agent who's undercover and is going to the uh, south of France. <laughs> it's not James Bond, but it might as well be. No, Shaken off stirred. Okay. I don't know if you're filmmaking. I'll take that. I'll take that. I think it's a it's a good image for me every time we play that. It is very cinematic that track. It's very cinematic, and um, whoever's playing me, George Clooney could play me when we make the film of, of us. Who play you, Rich? Would it be? Um... Don't go there. Don't okay. go it. All right. You know. We, <laughs> we won't even say. But we could even put MC that into the film as well he'd be like um the one trying to help him out with this undercover mystery uh that was conducted by crusoe who is actually krustbukova who's a russian agent who's trying to take his woman her name is renato isabella and she's italian and we know what you know okay maybe i'm getting a bit ahead of myself no you're not you're not you're not <laughs> this is the i like this interview it's a lot more interesting than most of them trust yeah. me I am absolutely honoured you even said that there, which will make me want to do even a sort of hum voice for Moon Buggy, but I won't do it there. That's actually Come on, no, let's hear favorite. it. Can we hear it, please? <laughs> I mean, if I saw you two lot with a guitar off with Les Claypool, he would be crying tears. <laughs> You'd beat him to the punch. I don't know if you like Primus, but that's another band that uses bass heavily. Yeah. And fucking rocks at it, like Tony Levin from King Crimson. And Elephant Talk on Discipline, King Crimson, definitely reminds me a lot of your stuff as well. Okay. Especially on some kind of kink, which is not on my first or second favorite Red Snapper song, but I know that's on Our Aim is to Satisfy. That will come out in a few years for its 20th, for 25th anniversary. But I, about that music video for some kind of kink, how was that even made? It was just. <laughs> I know. It just that, was, that, was all, that was all done with a scanner. That was a scanner. Just a class and a normal scanner, and it, it was uh, with a director, uh, well, a, a filmmaker, Richard Anthony, who is who is very talented, and yeah, we just scanned ourselves. Yeah, that that video was brilliant. I, we really enjoyed. Uh, well, I really enjoyed doing it because it was. Um, I think it's the same thing. It's kind of what he caught there, Richard Anthony, was just the whole sort of visceralness of what we are. There's something very. Uh, sort of physical again I suppose and a bit and a bit twisted about what we do and he really caught that with the way he the way he made us uh, roll our heads across scanners and and he had even put an umbrella on Det's head didn't he which is I've, I can't imagine anyone ever being able to get away with that MC Det he's not a he doesn't easily like his image played with you know no he seems like he's quite particular he's got that sort of hard man vibe about him Behind closed doors, things get rough. So with the feeling, yeah. 
Reminds me a lot of that. That's weird because he's actually a childminder now. Oh, he is. <laughs> oh, he's still doing music because I follow him on our Instagram. Uh, yeah, he's still he's doing music. Still. He's still dropping still. Yeah, I mean, he still lives. I live in Hackney in London. He's still around here. I still see him every now and then. Oh, um, then. He, looks, he looks great still, I have to say. He's still, um, still got the, you know, the perfect body. Uh, are you going to get him back for the upcoming album? And uh, for the upcoming album, you have any titles in mind? Yeah. Yes, thanks. It's all... Uh... <laughs> okay, we won't uh, openly discuss no, we, it. We, well, no, no, we won't be working with MC Debt on the new album. Um, new album's won't be out till next year, but um, is pretty much there. Uh, we're working with some interesting vocalists, um, a fantastic guy called Natty Weiler, uh, who's on two tracks, and he'll be on the next single, which is out in probably November time. Um, uh, who else? Uh, Layla Assam is singing on the track. Ali's singing on quite a couple of tracks. Well, how many? Three. Mm -hmm. Singing, singing is, yeah, words yeah. anyway. Yeah, choose words. Nothing uh, wrong with spoken word. I, I actually do spoken word myself on some music on the side. I go by the name Head Smoke. Um, it's very sort of. Can we hear some? Oh yes, of course. Seven pound twenty-five, six pound eighty. You can't get anyone that. And even worse, being homeless or having no means of employment. Let's stick with jobs this time. You're the only person at work trying to get ahead in life. You could think of me as the next Jason Williamson, who, mind you, let me just hold you for a second. He was almost going to work with you, but then he didn't. And he even include Prince Blimey on one of his favorite albums. The Sleaford Mods guy. Did you work with Jason at one point? No, I've read his interviews though, mate. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I love Sleaford Mods. Um, so that's all I can say really about. Uh, I don't know if he was ever going to work with us, was he, Ellie? I don't know. He, he credited us, didn't he? he? Was he liked us? He was influenced by us, but I'm not sure if. Did he say he was going to work with us? I don't remember in, in him inviting us to work with him, but there you go. Oh, maybe that's just urban legend because it was mentioned on maybe the website or Wikipedia, which can be <laughs> unverified. Maybe we miss. Did we miss that email, Ali? Maybe has he maybe worked with somebody else like us? Is there another band? Uh, is it Bent, B-E-N-T? Because uh, they said he was almost going to work with them, but um, that never happened because... The word you using, using a lot here, almost. He almost worked with... Uh, anyway, you know. Um, <laughs> so, no, we like what they do. They're, they're, yeah, they're I, cool. I love what they do. I've seen them live a few times. They're brilliant. It's a proper, proper attitude, which I like. And very, very, very. What I also like about them, the humour is just astounding. They're just, um, that's just how they are. They're, you know, I, it never seems affected. They're just, they're having a laugh. They're from a particular, you know, they're from the Midlands, aren't they? I think they, yeah, Sleaford, Grantham. 
Yeah, like um, Nottingham. Nottingham. Because uh, I'm friends with uh, Simon Mills and Nail Tolliday of Bent, who uh, Nail Tolliday okay. was the roommate of uh, Jason Williamson. I probably shouldn't be talking about other bands, but, you know, there's comparisons here and there. And I've listened to Key Markets and Divide and Exit, which are number 10 on my top 25. You're number yeah. two. Um, and he's definitely stole your style with the bass. Like, there's a one song called Corgi, or um, yeah, Bronx in at six. And it was like, <laughs> you might have to sue Andrew Fern if you have one chance. <laughs> um, it's a, it's good. You like bass, don't you? I'm hearing that, that you like bass. It's my favorite instrument, uh, aside from the synthesizer. I um, don't have instruments myself, but um, I use GarageBand lately for a lot of my sounds. And anytime I put in sort of double bass or even Liverpool setting up a bass guitar, like the Beatles, like Paul McCartney, John Lennon, it has that sort of gravelly. <laughs> I even sample and loop it and we twist the sounds. It's absolutely beautiful. And you were definitely an inspiration to a lot of the work I was doing. Even put some of it on my documentaries as well. So yeah. Well, you can see my let you see the base case back here. Look, that's oh, that's, that's been the, around the world a few times with it. It's quite nice. Just oh, stickers from all over Russia with fragile, where they haven't actually paid any attention to it being fragile. And and actually, um, the vocalist who features most on our album, Natty Weiler, is locked inside it. Oh, oh. Is he still in there, Ali? <clears throat> I'm not hearing him anymore, but I'm sure he's all right. Try help me out. Help me Get out. me out of here. Or maybe it's uh, Edgar Wright. <clears throat> he might be in there. Because Edgar Wright used some kind of kink on Spaced for Channel 4. Or maybe it's Chris know. Morris. Um, <laughs> he seems to like a lot of your music as well. Interesting. Hello, I think going back to what you're saying that we've like debt's not on this and we, there's Natty on it. We we always try and find new people. We always try and keep things moving and we we collaborate with you know at the beginning we used to collaborate with a different horn player or a different other a different musician on each album. And uh it's for us it's just really nice to keep moving and have the opportunity, you know, to work with debt's brilliant. But that was then, and now Natty is also brilliant. <clears throat> and this uh, Layla vocalist, Layla Astam, is also she's going to be massive, I think. And she's just got a, the, the sweetest voice, you know, very very soulful lady. So um, I feel I feel pleased to be doing that, just to keep moving it. And that's I think that's something that we've always been proud of doing. You know, we're trying to keep keep testing ourselves. You know, keep finding new ways. And that's the best part about it, because you could be like, um, U2 makes the same sort of music every once in a while, or Madonna, but you lads have style and talent and the bravado to make also some killer album covers as well. Um, the artwork for Prince Blimey, uh, and also the name itself, it kind of gives me a claustrophobic sort of vibe about it, or... Maybe yeah. it's based on voodoo. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the inspiration was for the name and the artwork. Well, the the 
the artwork was a friend of ours called Annis, Annis Harrison, and she was really into voodoo um, and she was into dolls and she was into just twisting images. She's an artist. Um, and she used to, in fact, come on tour with us when we played live and she used to project images onto us. She had lots of sort of dolls which she would get uh, killing each other and decapitating each other, which is quite, quite cheery. Um, <laughs> So she used, she used two old school slide projectors and would actually like quite a, a couple of AV um, DJs did at the time. She was ch literally chopping in with her hands, covering the images. And uh, it was just all, all her work, all her artwork that was based around the Prince Blimey stuff. And um, well, they're called Wanga dolls, aren't they? Um, yeah and there's some great images that weren't used um there's some great some of the eps have got i i actually think some of the imagery on the eps are better than the album itself but she was a massive part of the live show and um art art has always been really important to us with every album um we've always tried to find someone who has the same sensibilities and emotions as us and understands the music. And we continue to work like that with, with artists and designers. Yeah. It's really important to us, I think. And it's so much harder these days when the physical thing isn't such a big deal, you know? It's, it's so much harder to um, convey uh, how, how you, I don't know, your, your, art, your art and your imagery um, and we're lucky enough to be able to play live and we can project, etc. But with Anis, it was really special because it was very organic and live at the time. And it was different every night, which is what the Red Snapper live set is, you know. I've never heard it from that perspective. Um, I'm absolutely... I wish I was there because um, I was unfortunately too young to go to any music sets there. But if I saw the artwork as it was happening while you're performing live, I would have been yeah. instantly wowed um, by what was present. And um, it, it definitely gives this sort of, maybe claustrophobic is the wrong word, sort of edgy edge to it. Um, almost like a, a jazz fusion record. Like you don't know where you're going, but then you're here, either you're there. Or it's you know, ominous and mysterious. I even feel that way about our aim is to satisfy as well, which is on the surface looks like it's an ad for transportation for London with the uh, <laughs> ambulance and the motorways, like yeah. the A junction. But, yeah. um, and then yeah, you also have that promo design, which also shown where you could create an ambulance on its own, which I thought oh, was yeah. very clever, it appealed to my sort of childlike sensibilities, at least at the time. But, um, now but it, the thing is, it, it reflected it reflected what was going on at the time and for us it was very much about a sort of urban you know perhaps being a bit lost in in a city and um which maybe we were at the time and uh it again you know a lot of thought has always gone into our art and uh what the, the way the art represents our music that's really important which is why, you know, we have so much respect for the, the artists and designers that we work with. It's really important to us. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you're talking about um, 
the sort of claustrophobic nature of the of some of those those gigs as well which was um i think claustrophobic is a good word for it i think i think we sort of embraced that a certain darkness it made it it's very compelling you know i think um i think compelling is another good word for it, actually compelling dark and, and the moodiness so you're in a i always thought you know if you were in one of our gigs you were kind of stuck you were trapped and it was a good place and a, and a bit of a bad place it was a, but it was a real place and i was like that and i think what anis did with the with the the images and the artwork really contributed to that i think that i've, I've always liked that idea that you it becomes immersive you know what i mean it becomes an immersive experience definitely red snapper um like i said earlier on about the cinematic edge combined yeah. with the art artwork uh definitely provides a feel and a mood that cannot be replicated uh, on the flip side of artists um towards the can that makes you feel like you're watching something from the 1970s an old videotape or makes you feel like you're in toronto or calgary um yeah. apex twin makes you feel like you're paranoid disturbed and you're about to kill someone no offense <laughs> to richard d james and uh tiesto makes you feel like you just took a shit faithless makes you feel like ah, i'd be feeling all right with maxi jazz and bjork makes you feel like you're dancing on a lake through Reykjavik and you turn into icicle maybe that's just my crazy uh, imagination no but that that's your opinion and that's what's amazing about you've just summed it up is everything makes people think in a different way and that's what us as creators want to do is excite people and make them think and challenge them and that's if you can do that then you've achieved what most of what you want to do really yeah or certainly with snapper that's what we wanted to do with and that's what we still want to do and with the new album it's about challenging people um making them hope uh, listen with an open ear and look with a, an open eye you know Oh, definitely. I would agree with you there. Um, it's a feeling that cannot be replicated, whether it was on one hand. Okay, I got a little bit off tangent on my head, but certain songs uh, provide a certain mood that even goes in a point to say, because I've heard this from a friend of mine, Red Snapper. It reminds me of music that you would drink Pims or Bailey's on the Rocks near an airport lounge or an after-night business meeting, after smoking a few Cubans. It's very, a twee sound, upper class, kind of like thievery corporation. Is that an accurate statement or is that just complete bollocks? <laughs> I think you know the answer to that. Um, well, everyone, of, each to their own, but I would say absolutely none of that. None of that really made any sense to me. Um, <laughs> Well, this wasn't my opinion. This was someone else's. No, but... no, no. Well, it, it's great to hear your friends' opinions, and uh, I, I just don't think that has a lot to do with where we're coming from. To be honest, um, at the best of times, when we make beautiful music, I don't think we try and make stuff that's acceptable or um, whatever the word was you used. Um, I certainly can't imagine it in anywhere sophisticated or um, 
I don't know, relaxing really. Everything we've ever done has been aimed at at, at challenging people. Because he kind of based his opinion on two particular tunes, Thomas the Fib and well, Belladonna. And I love Belladonna. Well, there you go. So he, he's, yeah, so he's picked two. But that's not two. representative of all your time music. Your music is each well, song down at its own feet. Each song centered its own merits, but for me, Be Bella, what what's Belladonna? Do you know what Belladonna is? Belladonna's a poison, right? Poison, yeah. Yeah, Belladonna's a poison. So that that's a really yes, it is a really beautiful track, but I'd, I'd say there's an unsettling element to it, and uh, it sits within an album that's truly unsettling and. Um, we just never, we've never ever thought like that in our lives. You know, we make music, if we make something beautiful, it's because it it's the background music to something that's probably quite wrong and cranky in our heads, if that makes sense. Do you agree, Ali? Yeah. But yeah, I'd have to agree. I mean, it's funny that when you when you describe those your friend's words, and I was trying to think what tracks of ours go anywhere near that. And I did think on the surface, maybe Belladonna because it has a surface of 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 sweetness. But you know, it, like most poisonous things and nasty things, they've got a surface which is very attractive and seductive. You go and sit on it, you slip in, and you you get hammered. You know, and I think. Uh, Everything nice has got a bite, right? There's the flip side to everything. We and maybe maybe that's what we're doing. We're pulling you in with these lovely little horn lines and lovely little electronic lines, and then once you get too close, too close, you get your ass bitten. I would agree with that. There, this is the same person that even thought "Lemon Jelly's Lost Horizons" is a great song to play to children, not realizing there's certain innuendos here and there. I think. Lemon Jelly even put dot .ky and then music has the right to children he thought oh it can't be bad and then when he heard 6010 and Colour of Fire he was like <laughs> well he I tell you something now he won't be listening to your podcast anymore will he well him I called him a bit of a twat so I'm sure he'll take it lightly uh my apologies there I probably got a little but bit no, off no 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 and but we also really appreciate comments like that it you know how can you uh you can't question yourselves or look at what you do if you don't hear things like that and we don't always get to hear stuff like that that that's important to us yeah how pe how people interpret our music is massive to us i'm sure andrew weatherall because he's done quite a few remixes of your work uh, he interpreted it in a way that uh no one else can even replicate. Um, God rest his soul, Mr. Weatherall is no longer with us, but what was it like working with him who made your songs even sort of... Well, Rich, uh, Rich you knew him a lot better than I did. He was, he was a friend of yours, really, wasn't he? So I, I knew Andrew and uh, I, I played live with the Sabres and obviously I was in the aloof with Jags and Gary um I'd say with the Sabres remix of Hot Flush was very much led by Andrew uh but I'd say musically was quite led by Gary um 
and it then in terms of the production it was perhaps about jags which is why i love that remix because i think it represents all three of them um you know that they after that they remixed bogeyman and some kind of kink and they took very different approaches to that to, you know uh, which reflects where they were musically uh andrew was his own man um i'd say me and andrew didn't always see eye to eye um and i suspect andrew didn't always like what red snapper the music that we've made but also i think andrew respected a band's right to do their own thing which was why yeah. he was such a lovely guy yeah. uh he was all about people being free <laughs> and making the music that they need to make and stick into their guns um he's greatly missed you know yeah yeah may he be uh surely missed some i know he was kind of uh a friend of John Peel as well. I'm sure you probably knew John Peel at one point. I think he would be a man who, no longer with us, would have loved your music, even up to the hyena and key days. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just um, from my perspective there. But I know I got a little bit off tangent with some of the questions, which I apologize, but um, I'm sure it will bring a sense of humor for everyone here as well. And in terms of... Uh, working with Lowe, um, how has it been like for you? Uh, because I've seen their repertoire of music, but they also released some of the compilations, very impressive. Sometimes they even work, I believe, with a few Warp and Ninja Tune names as well. What's well, about the, thing is, the thing is, don't, don't forget that Lowe Low pretty much started, you know, not long after Warp did, if not at the same time, you know, uh, and certainly before Ninja Tunes, um, John Ty was responsible for putting out some really experimental music very early on in the 90s. And um, we have massive respect for him and Gavin because they've stuck to their guns. Um, the design is always amazing of what they do. They're very selective with what they release we're really lucky that they've always supported us and again a bit like warp we'd come at them with something that they perhaps didn't find easy to accept but they they trust us they also have great belief in us as a live band um and i think low recordings is is a totally un is a really um underrated label they've put some great music out um John Ty is responsible for some brilliant ambient music that's coming out at the moment. Um, and I, I just think it, it's we're in difficult times, aren't we? It's really hard for labels like that to, to survive, um, perhaps up against the likes of Ninja Tunes and Warp, who I suspect in their own right are struggling a little bit. I think everyone's struggling. But uh, low recordings are great. We've got no complaints. You know, we wouldn't be with them if if they weren't a great label. Um, got a, there's a great team there. Got yet yeah, they work with young people. They're always looking for young people who be dealing with their social media, uh, their PR, their press. They they're just really proactive and positive. No, I do. Of course, they're, they're, I think like. Uh... 
I've, well, I think we've probably been really lucky because like Warp, they're, they're just music lovers. That's, that's, that's the, the buck stops there. They're music lovers. They, they will sort of hunt out and only put out stuff which they think is good and which they love. As the same with Warp. And they put themselves out on a limb. They take risks, which I'm always firmly behind as an idea of moving forward with music. They'll take risks. And 98% of the time it'll work and occasionally it won't, but at least they've, they've tried it. Um, and they are so supportive of us. I, I always get the feeling of them being a slight cottage industry, which I quite like as well. I think they, I feel like from the ground upwards, they're just putting things together slowly, slowly. And they put a, they put a package together of music and ideas and artwork and then the way they promote it, um, it feels, it always feels totally contemporary. It always feels ahead of the curve. It always feels, you know, slightly cutting edge. Um, I, and, and I, that, definitely. They're a very, very modern label. And, yeah. they, and, and considering how long they've been going, massive respect to them. Yeah. Um, considering they're from our generation, they, they want to change everything. They're just fighting to change the way this industry runs and it's really hard for them it's really hard and they're very good at what they do so you know huge respect to them yeah massive yeah huge respect to them i will agree as well um i know i've talked to a few artists in my time and they say that it's quite difficult to make money these days um uh, with tours and album sales because cds not are popular most people just gain a lot of their music through streaming services which only pay very small percentage um apple music slightly little more than spotify and that's uh created a bit of problems for a lot of people who like to hone their craft and to where often not they move into other industries or perfect their craft uh, through tours which they try to make most of their revenue which i think it's a sad sort of indication of the way capitalism and the industries have become, but um, it's just an unfortunate reality that people are living in. Did I mention about Edgar Wright earlier on and Spaced? Because when I first heard your song on films and TV, I heard it on Space, which was on Channel 4. Or maybe it was on Blue Jam yeah. with Chris Morris. And I thought, how did they get that on there? That's not a very known song. No, but at the time, it, it you know, so when we got spaced, that was some kind of kink, wasn't it? That was around there. Yes. At that time. Yeah. Uh, don't don't forget. Um, what's it? Was it the Brits or whatever? Madonna came on to present the uh, award with. She came on to some kind of kink. <laughs> so Unfortunately, I don't know, quite remember how, that. How that? <laughs> and and this, this this all happened at a time when. Um, you know, I, I DJ'd at um, the Natural History Museum with Kate Moss and Naomi Campbell. There, there was this sort of profile that Warp had, and they were very good at promotion and PR, and they nailed it at the time, right across the board. So not just the paper, uh, you know, the, the music press, but they were in there with the, the independent radio, but also they were clever because they knew how to get in with fashion and they were way ahead of their time on that front. And they were, all they were doing was pushing their music to people, which is what is now basically, they're the rules, aren't they? For most small labels, that's the only way you can do it. Get sync, get a fashion show. 
they they were the one of the first independent truly independent labels putting out absolutely insane music that managed to get that music used uh in a way that it crossed over and it worked it worked and i mean that's too you know don't forget that um you know at the same time apex twin did the pirelli advert and you know some huge warp had some huge adverts at the time so they they were very clever in how they did it and they were forward thinking steve and robert Warp were just looking ahead all of the time and that that's why we love them that's why we like john and gav at low because they're looking ahead the whole time and yeah. i think in our industry there's too much of sort of retrospective moaning going ah oh, because of streaming we can't do it anymore what the, that's not helping anyone what we have to do is look at how we can promote this uh, the amazing music that's coming out from people old gits like us but also all the young music producers it can be done but you have to be creative and and the creative people have to become more powerful than the business people <laughs> I would totally agree with you there. Um, it's not easy. I know I'm a lot younger than you fellas, but um, I know trying to get into the industry um, music-wise, it's not an easy feat, especially with, you know, traditional ways like album and CD sales not being as quite as common as these, but also with the internet, there's now a sort of oversaturated pool of talent that they have to sort of pick and choose from. And often not the people with the most hits on Twitter or Instagram usually get the, the most attention. At least that's one from what I'm aware of. Um, and sometimes that talent can be good, but most times it can be just terrible, like Rebecca Black and uh, Lewis Capaldi. No offense to him, but I, I don't listen to UK top 20 hits. I don't listen to Billboard 200. I, I, I like what I like. I think it's important that... Um... When you, I think it is very hard for, for new bands and new musicians particularly. And, uh, and I do think that a lot of the bands and a lot of these singers who get a lot of attention, there's, there's a huge amount of investment in getting them onto playlists and things are bought, you know, algorithms are changed. Um, and that's half the reason they get to where they are. And while I agree with Rich, there's no point us moaning about it too much we have to keep finding ways of, of getting the music out there. And if anything, it's making us more creative. On the other hand, I do think that, you know, platforms like Spotify have got to be regulated a bit more and they do keep pretending or claiming they're going to try and change it up a bit because it is, I do think it's scandalous how much musicians are paid, um, how much money musicians get out of it. You've got, a, you've got that percentage who do incredibly fucking well. And then you've got a whole world of other musicians who are just struggling because they believe in it and that's what they want to do. And they, and unless we all kick off about it, sometimes nothing will change. So ho hopefully, I mean, every now and then, you know, the British government say they're going to change it or try and try and look at it again. I, I do think we need to keep challenging those platforms because they're just, uh, they're, mil they're milking us and they're milking talent. And there's at some point, we'll all, we'll all have to give up, you know, so um, it's hard enough for us. We've been going around for we've kind of gone around a couple of times, if you like, and we know how to play it a bit more, but it's still a struggle for us with a, a new band. It's so hard. You have to be prepared to put in the miles and the hours for a couple of years before you get anything, you know, not easy. 
I think I would t totally agree with you, especially with the pandemic and Wishy Sunak's response to artists will have to find ways to play in other industries. Um, oh, God. That, that's, that does not play well with the likes of you a lot. Musicians I'm aware of still work at the supermarkets or even do construction just yeah. to get on by. No cinematic orchestra. I think that like the main guy behind that band gets to work in construction before he became famous. Mr. Scruff worked at QuickSave before he started DJing. He might have had to go back to QuickSave during COVID. I don't know. He's going to really appreciate you saying that. So, um, good you know, there. Andy. I, yeah. Okay. Well, well, tell him I said hi um, as well. I, I love knowing musicians here and there, my friend. What do you think of the new singles in the last six months? I was definitely a fan of them there. B Planet was definitely a return to the Prince Blimey days uh, with its acoustic sound. That um, definitely made me happy. And also like the uh, album artwork as well, almost like um, the interior of Mars. Maybe you might be going with a sort of space theme, kind of like Mysterious Travel and Weather Report. Think. That's just my... Uh, yeah, my opinion. I can't yeah, wait well, to hear yeah, more of the songs that come up out. If you need did me you to... Like the, uh, did you like the video for B Planet? Uh, yes, I did. Um, very much of its own sort of universe. Um, I wish they had MTV Dance back in the day um, to show a lot of the great music videos that you've put out just recently. So yeah, keep up that, the good work. For us, that kind of represents how um, things have perhaps moved on uh, rather quickly in that YouTube's always been important to young people in that a lot of the young people I work with will listen to tunes on YouTube, but they're not that fussed about what the visuals are. Um, Maura, who did that video, put so much time into that, and it's clearly, you know, sort of genre defining, and it's really exciting, and it's uh, it's something really special, but actually it wasn't kind of taken as anything that special, which was, for our part, a bit disappointing, but perhaps that represents where we're at now, is that um, people aren't that fussed about something visual that's really exciting, which is takes us back to where we, when we were talking about Anis and those live visuals, you know, perhaps our hearts were in that and it possibly we were misguided with that, you know, that, that a lot of time went into that project with that vision, with that video. Um, You've got to wonder now, is it worth even doing a video? Do you know I what think, I mean? No, I, I agree. I mean, at the same time, if just to sort of put on the, the creative set, I think if you want to do something, you, you have to do it. And she, the, that, that video needed to be made. So um, whether or not it gets, you know, a million people seeing it, obviously the more the better, but at least it was done. If it doesn't get done, it would never get seen. So but why did why did a million people not see that? Did they not think it was very good, or did they actually not get to see it because of the way YouTube works? And yeah, probably, probably, yeah, probably both. Yeah, probably I both. probably have a few theories on that. Algorithms they can kick you in the ass too. Um, market share and demographics. Um, 
your music is wonderful, but I, many of the people I've talked to don't quite understand where to put it through a market demographic or whatnot. And three, how many um, people changing do you know attitudes talk about market demographics, just out of interest? Me and my mother. See, there you go, Ali. I knew it. He knows two people that know about market demographics. And probably Simon Mills from Bent. Uh, he seems like he'd talk about because he went into specifics about Spotify and Apple Music. Okay, no, I mean, I, I'm only, so I'm just having a, a bit of a laugh there. But um, see, you know, there you go. It, it Market demogra demographics, algorithms. Wow, we could get tangled up in that forever, couldn't we? Or we could just keep making good music and go out and do a tour and see how it goes down. If I was the Prime Minister of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, I would uh, invest pools of money into artists to create their craft. Just like at one point they used to, at least in the 70s. I, I wasn't born at that time, but I know my father was kind of that last generation of people who went to sixth form and then to college afterwards to study arts and photography so i've kind of bring that back and people honing their craft even if the tories and even some labor people will say oh you know, it's not making enough money it's not making enough tax revenue for great britain or says well give these people a chance it almost feels as though they have to slave away at tesco maybe not working on to slave away at tesco or amazon creative industries in britain well it's everywhere the creative industries bringing in a huge amount of money not that that's what it's about, though, is it really? It's, you know, I think you have to look at beyond the sort of economics and the finances of it and just look at it as a, you know, people need art, people need music. It makes people feel better, particularly we've just coming through this, this shitty pandemic. People need something else to latch onto. People, music soothes. It, it, it makes you find a better place. It makes you find something good in yourself. We should, as does art, as does theatre, we should be encouraging that, not trying to find ways of knocking it down. And, uh, you know, it needs to be, at least give people the opportunity to make the stuff, to make the music, to make the art, I say. And uh, and the only way, well, probably the best way to do that is to kick this bloody government out and, uh, you know. Well, tell that to people who live in Surrey and uh, like West Yorkshire, they might say, Oh, I don't know about that, lad. As long as we get all them immigrants and we get our Brexit, we'll be all right for it. But... See, we, we were very lucky in that um, yeah. we were funded by the Arts Council of Wales. That whole uh, Tuki Buki project, which became Hyena, was funded by the Arts Council of Wales, which I'm not trying to contradict what you guys are saying, but there is hope. There are there is, there are organisations oh, doing yeah. what they can to to fund. But their funding has been reduced funding. all the time, isn't it? They're, they're of funding. course, of course, yeah. Oh, of yeah. Course, I agree, Rich. Of course, yeah. Well, um, I know Wales is a little different because um, since devolution, they kind of have their own parliamentary powers. Uh, so I actually will thank um, Arts Council Camry. Uh, for doing that there. What she uh, already done here as far as um, the interview is concerned? Really, I really enjoy chatting, actually. It's been nice. Thanks, man. And your bass impressions are phenomenal. So at least it knows if ever I hurt myself and I can't play, I'm going to give you a call. And you can just do a bit of air bass and, that, and sound for me, all right? 
Hey, uh, feel free to count me in. Till then, last one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>